Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor Trevor, for that warm introduction. I also want to thank Pastor Joshua in his absence, who is a very dear friend of mine, the Seminet family, are friends of ours, and I am excited to be with you, Hopeville, in your journey through the Psalm series. Now, I will say this. My, my wife had a previous engagement, but she sends her greetings. My other son chose to go to Children's Church. I'm not sure if that's because of me or because Children's Church, but I just want to give a shout-out to my oldest son, Solomon, who decided to join me and to stay with us today. I owe you, buddy. Journey through the Psalms. You know, I'm excited to be with you in this Journey Through the Psalms series. Songs are powerful. We just were able to lift up the name of Jesus and worship, and we know that songs are powerful. They tell stories. They provoke ideas. They even ignite revolutions. Songs are powerful. The philosopher Plato said, music gives a soul to the universe, wings to the mind, flight to the imagination, and life to everything. Louis Armstrong said music itself is life. The Winans, anybody know about the Winans? They talked about everything you touch talking about God is a song. They went to talk of with tales of good times, tales of bad, tales when we're happy, and tales when we're sad. Everything you touch is a song. You know, Psalms reflect our humanity. Now, it is true that the Bible is a book about God, but it's also a book about us. A book that reflects our humanity and relationship to God's eternity. The book of Psalms captures this reality perhaps better than any of the other books in the Bible. One theologian stated that the Psalms are helpful because they are genuinely dialogical, meaning marked by dialogue, and they express both sides of the conversation of faith. It is God's conversation with us and our conversation with God. In Psalms, we hear the voice of God, but we also hear the voice of Israel as they try to make sense of God in their current situation. My goal is to help illuminate this psalm this morning, but also provide us with something that we can apply to our current times. The psalm that I've chosen to work through this morning is Psalm 146. And if you want to turn there, I'll be going there in a moment. I know that Pastor Joshua often uses the Christian Standard Bible, so I chose to use that translation for this morning. So the book of Psalms concludes with what scholars call the Hallelujah Psalms. Psalm 146 is a Hallelujah Psalm. And the reason they say that it is a Hallelujah Psalm is if you look at Psalm 146, Psalms 1, and also all the Psalms... Finishing with Psalms 150, they begin and end with hallelujah. In most translations, it's going to read praise the Lord, but the, the original Hebrew would read hallelujah. What if we started, our, started and ended our activities with the hallelujah? We started our day 
and we ended our day with the hallelujah. What if we rose every morning with the hallelujah, and when we lay our head down to bed, we ended it the same way. Hallelujah. See, today's text testifies of someone full of praise, not because everything is going well, but because this songwriter knows fully where we ought to put our trust. We find a nation who has been taken into captivity in Babylon, and they're likely returning from exile to a city in ruins and a temple destroyed. The king and the kingdom were gone, and it would only be faith in the sovereign God that would provide this nation with an identity. Let's read Psalms 146. Hallelujah. Like I said, other versions would read praise the Lord, particularly the King James Version of my youth and the English Standard Version for others. And then it said, my soul, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles, in a son of man, or a mere mortal who cannot save. When his breath or when his spirit leaves him, he returns to the ground. He returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. But happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed or bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens or immigrants and helps the fatherless and the widow but he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. Just for a moment, I want to speak on the topic, when the dust settles. When the dust settles. So while the author of the psalm is not named, we know that David wrote most of the psalm, but in this case, the author is not named. We know that he's writing with a congregation in mind. This, this songwriter, a poet, recognized that praise is something God's children can do even when there's little else that can be done. Is there a time when all you have is a praise? It is not evident in this translation but in other translations, you will notice that after the general call to praise of hallelujah, the psalmist appeals to himself to join the praise. The King James Version, the English Standard Version says, praise the Lord, O my soul. He's summing himself to praise the Lord. Now, if we're honest, we know that sometimes we have to summon ourselves to praise. I don't know about you, but there are times that praise does not come naturally or easily from my lips. There are moments that I must summon a praise. And so in my imagination, I could see the author writing the words in this song, and he begins to think about his relationship with God, and it becomes personal. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, 
Who knows, maybe he hears some other songs in his head. Maybe he, he hears, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Or maybe he hears, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't know for certain what entered that psalmist's mind. But if we would just think of God's goodness, we couldn't help but say hallelujah and hallelujah anyhow. Whether the day is good, bad, or indifferent, what would it say to the Lord if we would just practice a daily lifestyle that testifies hallelujah anyhow? But the psalmist doesn't just stop there. He says, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. As long as I live, that's a really long time. One translation adds, I will sing to my God with my dying breath. Can somebody testify, as long as God breathes through you, you will sing praises unto God. How many of you know it's not the breath that keeps you alive, but the very ruach or the spirit or the wind of God that expands and contracts your lungs? Maybe it's because it's an involuntary act that it just happens on our own, that we take it for granted. Please don't take breath for granted. It is a gift from the creator. God has given you breath. Human life begins with a gift of breath. We find in Genesis, the second chapter, the Lord formed man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. Genesis, second chapter and seventh verse. Now the psalmist instructs us also to not put our trust in human beings. Do not trust in nobles, in a son of man or a mere mortal who cannot save you. When his breath or his spirit leaves him, he returns to the ground. He returns to the dust. On that day, his plans die. You know, so often society tends to invest a great deal of hope and trust in political and other leaders, forgetting that we are creatures made from dust. The nobles or princes that we are tempted to trust are dust creatures too. Like us, they will return to their origin as we will also. Now, my son who's in children's church, he asked me during a previous presidential election, I asked him, you know, who should I vote for? And he told me that I should vote for the politician that doesn't lie or the one that tells the truth, <laughs> if he only knew. But I'm so glad that God is not a man, that he will lie. God is not a human being. He does not change his mind. What he says he will do, what he promises, he will keep. Now, now back to this text. I'm at verse 5. And verse 5 begins with, happy is the one whose help is in the God of Jacob. The Hebrew word here is, for happy, is the word asher. Now, we should not confuse happiness with the state of being. I know some folks say I'm happy, and, and, and it's about a feeling. 
But the word Asher most likely is derived from a verbal root that means to follow a particular path, which suggests to us that there is an assurance that comes with knowing that the one who is, that we are following has us on the right path. He is our Asher. When we trust God in God's direction, we place ourselves on the right path. Now, also in verse 5, there's the word help. And the Hebrew word for help here is derived from the verbal root ezer. Those of us who are married need to listen closely here. We find ezer also in Genesis 2 and 18. Where we read, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper or an ezer as his partner. The word ezer conveys the idea of a help or a strong presence that protects. Oftentimes this word appears in reference to God as deliverer, but it also says the woman is an ezer. Now men, imagine how your lives would be without your ezer. Is your wife your ezer? Where will we be without our wives? But the greater point here is that while the children wandered far and wide, experienced loss, they were never lost. Some people like to say the lost children of Israel, the children were never lost. They were always led. So we have an Asher past set before us and an Ezer, a helper along the way. Now, as we move to the sixth verse, we discover that the God of creation is also the God of history. You know, God has an advantage. He exists out of time and space. We don't have that advantage in seeing the end from the beginning. And our contemporary culture tends to only trust what we can prove with our senses. We need to see it. We need to smell it. We need to touch it. We need to feel it. We need to hear it. We are extremely materialist. We rely on matter to support our theories and decide what we will trust. But what, we, but what will we do until the dust settles? I believe we can trust God. First. 7 through 9 says, according to, to verse 7 and 9, we have a God who is Asher and Ezer, setting a path and helping along the way. We have a God who created heaven and earth, remains faithful, executes justice, gives food, sets free, opens eyes, raises up, loves, protects, and helps. All why? Frustrating the wicked. Did y'all hear that? We have a God that created heaven and earth, remains faithful, executes justice, gives food, sets free, opens eyes, raises up, loves, protects, and helps, all while frustrating the wicked. Why then, it, why then is it that at times it is so hard for us to trust God? Why? This goes back to being materialist. We base so much of our trust and what we can see. And despite all our energy on Sir Sunday, we still see the hungry, we still see the blind, we still see the marginalized who are the widows and the orphans of our day. Sure, we know God's resume, but in our day-to-day -day experience, 
The rule of oppressive mortals appears more evident than God's work. How are we to reconcile this profound contradiction? Seems like the wicked are thriving all the time, doesn't it? But the point is, God, who is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, creator of heaven and earth, is at work in history and is at work in eternity. Human rulers will come and go, kingdoms and kings and kingdoms will pass away, but God's everlasting work assures us that we are not without hope. What then happens when the dust settles? So one commentator that I was preparing, that I read as I was preparing for this message says, this is a psalm with dust all over it. Just go back to verse 4, and it says, when his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. He returns to the dust. This commentator goes on to write, we are creatures with dust on us. In fact, we are creatures made from dust. Just go to Genesis 3. This could be good news. The princes we are tempted to trust are dust creatures too, like us, and will return to their origin as we will. But the Lord delivers from the dust. Not only that, he became dust, one of us, and was laid in dust like the rest of us will be. The strange way the Lord of dust delivers the poor is to become dust like them and to raise some of that dust in his own body. One day he will raise all the dust and we have become to be part of his new heaven and earth. And he will reign forever. For now we only have the promise of one bit of dust raised, his at the right hand of the Father. One day we will need no promise to trust. We will have fulfillment. This psalm is a promise. Count on it. That's why you ought to say hallelujah. But there will be a day when the dust settles. Now this idiom, when the dust settles, is a way to talk about what happens when things become clear and calm after a period of change or confusion. We know that time is filled with swift transitions. None on earth unmoved can stand, but we must build our hopes on things eternal. Now there's a page on Wikipedia and it's entitled, Let the Dust Settle. And it states this, many current events receive a large amount of media coverage while they are occurring. However, not all topics so covered are historically significant and may simply disappear from the news after a while. You know, some things, they'll pass away. It goes on to say, this page in a nutshell, wait for the dust to settle before creating an article about current topics to Wikipedia. I would say wait for the dust to settle, to count yourself out. Wait for the dust to settle. We may need to wait for the dust to settle and the credits to roll, but just as the psalmist ends this psalm, and maybe we can read verse 10 together. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. 
Just wait for the dust to settle.